Welcome to Aligned Attraction, the go-to intimacy podcast for powerful women. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Lee Noto, master intimacy coach and psychedelic therapist, and I help powerful women like you unleash your wild feminine power so you can create heart-throbbing love. Each week, you'll hear from me and other experts on love, sex, and relationships, and I'll also coach women like you to create the most delicious transformation in their love lives. You ready? All right, everyone. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Way of the High Priestess. Today, I am joined by a dear sister of mine, a friend, a colleague, uh, definitely someone who feels like family. This is Elsa Morick, and she is a phenomenal woman. She helps people create a life they love and find a partner to share it with. And she has a very special knack for helping men in this area as well. So my dear, welcome. I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you. Um, So we were just talking before we started recording um, and my partner, Ani and I were sitting in the dining room at our house and just lavishing praise on Elsa for the incredible woman that she is. She is intelligent. She's ambitious. She's open-hearted. She's kind. She's loving. She's always learning. She's growing and expanding herself. She's generous. I mean, I could go on and on and on about who you are to me as a friend, as a sister, who I know you are to Sterling um, and who you are to other people in your life. And that's like, the, the first thing that I want to have come out of my mouth is like, that's not a, the kind of woman you want to fuck with because you're powerful <laughs> and you're gentle. You're gentle. Yeah. You're powerful. They're not mutually exclusive. So um, before we hop into all of this juicy content that we want to talk about when it comes to what it's like to be in relationship with a powerful man, I want to hear a little bit from you first about what it was like to create yourself to be a powerful woman and, or what it was like to remember that you've always been a powerful woman. Mm, mm. Well, I will answer that question with a story. So the story of this tattoo, actually, I got this tattoo when I was 19 years old and it means stand alone in Latin. It also means I'm single in Italian. I didn't learn that until a lot later. (laughs) So if I ever go to Italy, I basically have a tattoo that says I'm single Um, But anyways, standalone. And I got this tattoo after a really, really tough period in my life. I had just moved to Lebanon for a university. Lebanon, for y'all who don't know, is a tiny country right next to Israel in Syria. And I moved there because my parents are both originally Lebanese and they really wanted me to like learn the culture and marry a Lebanese guy in university. That was their secret plan all along. I guess it wasn't that secret. But um, I grew up in Japan. Mm. So I was born in the US and then we moved to Lebanon when I was eight. And then we moved to Japan where I did middle school and high school. And then I moved to Lebanon for university. So I really was not prepared for the change in culture, even though I consider myself to be someone who's pretty adaptable. 
But in Lebanon, um, the biggest culture shock for me was a woman's role in society. Mm. So a woman's role, um, and I want to be careful not to stereotype because I know times are changing and that women are becoming, they're really stepping into their power everywhere in the world. But at the same time, I don't want to minimize the reality of what it's like to be a woman in the Middle East because I lived it firsthand. Yeah. So um, there was a huge culture shock. And the culture shock for me was basically women were expected to be these beautiful Barbie-like dolls um, who were not really allowed to explore their sexuality. It was like very frowned upon. And I'll just describe the ideal woman. Cause I think in every culture, there's like an ideal woman. And in Lebanon, the ideal woman, as it was portrayed to me was this beautiful woman, um, you know, beauty attained at any cost, whether it's through surgery or like extreme dieting, like extreme tanning, like there's really no limitations when it comes to beauty. There's kind of a standard that every woman is expected to abide by. Uh, nails always done always. It's like seriously a sin for a woman to step out with her nails, not done. I've literally had guys tell me, I will not date a woman who does not have her nails manicured all the time. Wow. Um, pedicures, like perfect hair, no hair whatsoever on your body. Uh, I later learned that like shaving was seen as like disgusting (laughs) and like women were expected to laser all their hair off. Again, this is just my experience. I'm not saying every single man has these standards, but I met a lot of men. I was friends with a lot of men. I dated a lot of men. And this was the mentality. Uh, No hair on your body, anywhere on your body. Um, Expected to like work and make money and be educated, but at the same time, like cater to the home, cater to the man. But the most important thing in the ideal woman is that she's a virgin. So she's never had sex before. She doesn't have any experience sexually, um, which was also very confusing to me because the more conversations I would have with men, the more what I would see a lot is that men would date a woman who fit this profile, but then they would cheat on her with a woman who was sexually experienced Mm. and a woman who who did know her body really well um, and who knew what she was doing sexually, which, you know, there's, there's, it's, there's something beautiful about understanding how your body works for a man and a woman in the bedroom. So that was the culture that I came into. And it was very confusing for me. I always grew up quite independent and I've always been a free thinker, at least, you know, I've always think that I've been a free thinker and arriving to Lebanon and realizing that this ideal woman did not really fit who I was fundamentally was very hard for me. Mm. So I tattooed this on my arm after having spent like three years in Lebanon and having a really hard time making friends, having a real hard time dating because I would start to date someone. And then, you know, people would start to talk because I would want to be a normal woman who like got to explore every facet of a relationship, including sex. And, you know, Lebanon is not a very big country. It's very tiny. Like one of the tiniest countries in the world, actually. Wow. So you start to act against what everyone else is doing, you will build a reputation very quickly. And it's also a culture that really loves to talk. They Mm. love to talk about people. So it didn't take very long for me to create a name for myself and and not in a good way. Um, And then the thing with women is a lot of them agreed with how I was acting, they just couldn't agree with me openly. 
So I later discovered that a lot of like the girlfriends that I knew, um, or just peers that I had were actually having sex too. They just couldn't talk about it because then they wouldn't be marriage material. So, you know, I have the luxury of being American and knowing that if things don't work out here, I can come to the States. Not all women there have that luxury. A lot of women, like their way out is a man. So they have to be careful about who they associate with because if they associate with the wrong women, then they could, you know, put themselves at risk for not being marriage material. So this was kind of like my introduction to this new country. And it was, it was extremely tough. So when I tattooed this, it was a reminder to never lose myself in that, you know, like I had to do what I had to do to fit in eventually because I wanted friends because I wanted community, but I wanted to never lose myself in all of that. Mm. So that's one story I have. Oh my God. (laughs) Wow. That's I'm, I'm moved by that. And I'm, that is such a conundrum to be in. for anyone to have these like unrealistic expectations thrust upon us and it's unattainable expectations to have to be everything all the time is such a psychological and emotional burden to carry. Yeah. Uh, We were just talking about your personal story with what it's like to have come into your own power as a woman and the just twists and turns along your path with being raised in different countries where there are vastly different cultural standards, gender norms, et cetera. So, all right, now you are at the point where you arrive in America and then what happens? Like, did you always know that American culture and dating and sexuality was a thing when you were being raised in Lebanon or did you get here and you're like, Oh fuck, everyone's (laughs) fucking like what? (laughs) Like, what was your reality like when you went from Lebanon to the States? Oh, fuck. Everyone's fucking. Okay. That's (laughs) awesome. (laughs) Okay. So I'll give you like a a quick timeline of my life and all the places I've lived to, to answer your question. So I was born in the States. My parents are both Lebanese. So we moved to Lebanon when I was eight. And then we left Lebanon when I was around 11 to move to Japan. Okay. So I was in Japan from 11 all the way up to like 17 and a half. So I spent almost like seven years there. And then at 17, I moved to Lebanon. And then from 17 to 22, 23, actually, I was in Lebanon. And then at 23, I moved to the States. And against my will, honestly, I really didn't want to move here. Uh, that's another story. Moved to the States. And then I went to Europe for a few months and I hopped around Amsterdam and France and Ireland, just discovering myself and trying to figure out like where I want to live, what I want to do. And then I moved to Austin, Texas at 24. Okay. So there's a lot of like hopping around everywhere, but to your question, like I went to an American high school in Japan and I went to an army base. And I lived on an army base in Japan. For those of you who are familiar, there's army bases, American army bases all around the world. We were stationed at one in Japan on a base called Zama. And my high school was pretty small, but it you can imagine like this small American high school in the middle of Japan. 
And we lived like an hour and a half away from Tokyo. So because we were such a small school, I felt like everyone was very wild and everyone kind of just got away with everything. Um, in Japan, it's not very strict. So I used to party when I was 14 years old. Like they don't really ask for IDs. They kind of just assume that foreigners are older than they actually are. So um, like the high school in Japan was extremely open-minded. Everyone was partying. Everyone was drinking. Everyone was fucking in the bathrooms. Like it was insane. We had so many pregnant women at my school. It was pretty wild. Um, but I actually like my, my mom had always told me since I was a little girl not to have sex with men. She would always say like, sex is your weapon to get men to do what you want, which oh wow, granted <laughs> is, you know, interesting wisdom to be passed down. I think it gives you a pretty clear idea of Lebanese culture, at least during her time. She would always tell me like, don't have sex with a guy because the moment that you have sex with a guy, like they change, they don't love you anymore. Like you have to be really careful who you have mm. sex with. So there was nuggets in there that I think were useful, but I think the way that it was presented as a whole um, was more destructive, was more yeah. harm, was more harmful. It did more harm than good. So I actually was afraid to sleep with anyone for a long time. And I actually like my group of girlfriends, we all lost our virginity a lot later in life than our high school peers. But I mean, a lot later, like pretty much 17 or not yeah. pretty 16, 16 yeah. is when I lost it. But, um, I, so I went from that culture, that culture of like, it's cool to have sex. Is that like, people would lie about it. Like I used to lie about it because it was, it, I felt like I was cooler if I had done that to like moving to Lebanon where it was not cool at all, right. where you were seen as dirty where you were seen as expired goods, where you were seen as like, or damaged goods, if you were experienced. And that all happened in a very short time frame. So wow. I left Japan after having had some experience. And I had always heard about like college life. And the college life that I had heard about was the American college life, right. where you live alone, and you party a bunch and you sleep around and like, you make all your mistakes. Like yeah. that's, that was the college life that was advertised to me. So when I got to Lebanon and I quickly learned the hard way that that is not how Lebanese culture operates, at least not for women. Um, I was shocked. Hmm. And then when you came to the States again and you dated, because I, I know that you've been here for, you know, close to like a handful of years. Yeah. What were some of the things as you're in your, in who you are now, this self-aware woman who's always seeking to understand herself better, to grow, to learn in looking back over the city, like even the last five years, what are some of the biggest things you had to learn through relationship? Like, uh, <laughs> but what are the, some of the biggest lessons you've learned? I mean, yeah, because yeah. Listen, we don't, we think that we're going to go off and do all of our work when we're single and we're going to like become who we're meant to be. And then we're going to find a relationship and we're going to be complete and that there's going to be no more work to do. And we don't always consciously think this, but I definitely had the impression that let me go become who I am and then I'll find my man and then we'll be good. Yeah. 
not the way it actually works. No. But what were some of the things that as you got into relationships here in the States and you started dating American men, you had to like reconcile for yourself. You had to relearn. You had to create new beliefs around. Mm. I love this question. It was, again, so confusing for me to date here in America. Like, it was like I finally, my entire life has been a series of finally getting used to a place and finally like doing, what's that saying? Like in, in Rome, do as the Romans? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Do like the Romans do. Yeah. Do as the Romans do. It was like my entire life was like, I would finally get to a stage where I was doing as the Romans do and it would be time to leave. And it was never my choice. Like when I was young, obviously my parents, I had to move wherever my parents moved. But even as a full blown adult at 23, when I was finally set up with my life in Lebanon, my, my mom was like, if you don't move to the States, I'm going to disown you. And she said that from a place of love, like now in hindsight, I'm actually extremely appreciative that she brought me out here because for those of you who don't know, Lebanon is going through the toughest time, toughest time that it's been through in decades. I mean, inflation, hyperinflation, um, people wait an hour to get gas. Everything is like 40 times more expensive than it was just a few months ago. Um, there is a shortage of everything. It's just like, it's a really hard place to live right now. So she, she was foreshadowing to what, what she knew was going to happen in the future. She saw that I would really struggle in that country. It was her, she grew up there. So she knew that history would repeat itself and that I would eventually thank her for moving to the States. But, um, but again, like I was finally getting used to life in Lebanon. And then I, I moved to, you know, moved to Austin after bouncing around Europe for a while And honestly, it was really confusing dating American men. And I really didn't like it. The first, like the first two years of being here in Austin, I actually really hated dating. I felt like all my values that I had learned in Lebanon, like the values of being beautiful, the values of like, just kind of being this like princess in a way, um, were completely useless here. Like, (laughs) like men just didn't care about that. And I would offer, like, this is going to be really real and raw. Okay. Please, I invite it. (laughs) But, like, I would offer to pay for myself on a date, obviously, secret, maybe not obviously, but like secretly hoping that the guy would say no so that I could really feel like I was in my feminine and really feel like I was being taken care of. And a lot of guys would allow it. They'd be like, oh, yeah, we can totally split it or like you can get the next round or whatever. And I would also notice that, like, no, not a lot of men would comment on my outfit. Not a lot of men would comment on my manicure. And I know that some of you listening to this might think it's like superficial, but again, like having lived in Lebanon for five years and finally attained attaining the standards of the perfect woman, it hurt when those standards were not the same here. Cause I had already worked so hard on being the ideal woman and to realize that that's not what men wanted here. That was really tough. And so for the longest time, I kind of just accepted that either I was going to have to become more like a man to date here. I was going to have to show more of my, like, what do I like to do? What are my hobbies? Like, what, what do I want to do for a career? Like men don't really care if I get my nails done or not. Men don't really care if I have a pedicure or not, or if I'm dressed up fashionably. So I kind of had to learn how to like acquire other, not acquire, because I already had those traits. 
but I had to learn how to express them more. Mm. And in a way I had to learn how to change my standards because my standards were, you know, a man who takes care of everything, like a man with a plan, a man who opens the door, a man who like knows where he's taking you for dinner, a man who will never let you pay for yourself. And um, I'm not saying that that's like the right way, but that is what I had gotten used to. And when I didn't find that here, I, I was disappointed. Yeah. Understandable. Okay. So culture aside, just in the Elsa that you are now, right? Like you've done a lot of inner work to create this version of you through all of the iterations. What is it that you as a woman truly desire? So in other words, for me, and we know about human design and what our our types are attracted to, but I love being recognized. I love being acknowledged. I really enjoy genuine compliments. Um, and that might be cultural, but it's also what lights me up as a, as an individual. So what is it that, that just like really feels nourishing for your heart and soul when you receive that from a man? I love that you asked this question that way, because I feel, and you can probably tell from the conversation that so much of what I thought that I was looking for wasn't really me. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of it was, this is what you're supposed to want. Yeah. And it's still a process, honestly. Like I'm still learning how to answer that question in my life because I just feel like I've had so many voices in my head from my mom to my girlfriends in Lebanon, to my girlfriends in America, to my girlfriends in Japan. Like, I just feel like I have so much noise Mm. that I'm learning to turn down. Yeah. And I'm learning to like, think less about what I like, like, oh, I like this and I have this, so I should be happy. And instead just being like, no, no, no. Like, how do I actually feel? Like, how do I feel with this person? Yeah. Because I don't feel like fe- feelings just don't lie. Like I hang out with you. I feel happy. You know, mm-hmm. I leave, I feel lighter and I don't have to like, can, I don't have to intellectualize it. Like, yeah. oh, I like hanging out with Lee because Lee is all these things. Right. It's just, I feel good in yeah. your presence. So I'm still learning how to answer that question, honestly, but mm. I do like to be recognized like you too. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate that authenticity and that honesty because sometimes we're in the process of discovering, of finding out, of learning. And for those of you listening on my podcast, this is such a beautiful gauge because often I think we've been trained, you know, for for many reasons, particularly here in in Western society where the intellect is highly regarded and the emotions and intuition have long been disregarded though. I think we're heading into a new paradigm now where we're becoming more integrated and approaching things more holistically. Um, it's that sense of feeling good, that sense of feeling pleasure and joy, feeling excitement, feeling whatever your version of alignment is, is equally if I wouldn't say is, is equally as important a gauge as 
okay, well, you know, I want to hang out with this person because there's benefit here or because I think this, or because I should want to, or whatever it is. And I think particularly for women, we have this set of senses and connection to our bodies when we learn that we can tune out the noise, the things that don't feel like us. So you're on this journey of coming into yourself. And I, I, I'm, I like to be very careful with language when I talk about things, because I'm like, is it finding yourself? Is it remembering yourself? Is it grounding into yourself? Like, so you're on this journey now and I know your partner personally, we're all friends. Um, Let's start to segue the conversation into what this relationship has been like for you. And for those of you listening, we're talking about what it's like to be in relationship with a king. And how would you define mm. what a king is? Mm-hmm. Because I know your audience, you you talk yeah. about this often. Honestly, I would define a king as this keeps coming up in my mind. So I think it has relevancy. A, a man who knows what he wants, like, or not, not just knows what he wants, but knows who he is. Mm. A man who knows who he is. It starts with that for me, a man who knows who he is and a man who knows what he wants and believes that he's capable of creating it. Mm. Because I think that some men know who they are, at least in this moment, because, you know, we're always evolving, know what they want, but they get stuck on the creation part. And I think that they get stuck on the creation part. I believe they get stuck on the creation part because they don't really fundamentally see themselves as capable. So to me, a king is someone who believes that he can create anything that he sets his mind to. And as such, he ends up creating a very big life that has a lot of power in it and a lot of influence. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And, you know, for anyone who's tuning in, that can look any way, you know, that can look like a big extravagant life that can look like a quiet life in the woods of Montana, Mm -hmm. but it is a life by design, a life through intentional creation and choice versus falling into the default or whatever Mm -hmm. we were given or however we think we should be based on our gender identification, our culture, et cetera. And so here we are two women sitting on a couch talking and something I've really enjoyed about our friendship is that it, it, it feels like we're walking very similar paths. Mm -hmm. Like we both identify as powerful, open-hearted women who can create through our word and through intention. And we have attracted very powerful men into our lives. So let's get into this. Cause this is like a really yeah. juicy part of the conversation. Um, as you have been in relationship with Sterling in his King-like nature, what has that called forth in you? Like, what have you had to learn? Who have you had to become? What have you had to overcome? Whatever comes through for you. Yeah. Well, the first thing I'll say is that when I first moved to the States and I started dating as I shared, it was really hard for me because I felt like the things that were valued in Lebanon weren't really as valued here, or at least it wasn't enough. Like it wasn't enough to just be 
beautiful and charming and charismatic, like guys really wanted to know like, okay, but who are you? Like, what do you contribute to the world? Like what's your contribution? And I think that that was a very important process for me to go through because I started really focusing on like, what am I here to create? And for me, the way that I used to define the definition of a queen, I thought that a queen was a woman who could build her own palace. And I thought that a queen was a woman who calls the shots, like has her own business or is just crushing it professionally. Um, you know, has a trusted circle of girlfriends, makes her own money. Um, that's how I saw that a woman's power was in being independent Mm -hmm. and creating a life where she really doesn't need anyone. And for the longest time, that's what I was focused on. And, um, I even like got my dream apartment that you've, that you've been to. And when I first got my apartment, like I called it the queendom Yeah, because it was like, okay, I've reached queen queendom status where like I live in this dream condo and the best part of the, you know, the best part of Austin, um, I have my own business. I am growing. I am just doing what I want to do. And when I started dating Sterling, I led with all of that. So I was so used to now like leading with, I have my own business. I'm independent. I make a lot of money. Like I was just featured in this magazine and, um, we bonded over that a lot in the beginning. So what I thought our relationship was going to look like ended up being nothing like what our relationship was going to look like. So we bonded over all this like business stuff because I, you know, I thought that that's what he wanted to hear. And that's just what I was used to portraying. And when we actually got into relationship and, um, you know, we're, we're both this like very big people. We have these big personalities where, you know, I want to be seen and I want to be like sharing and teaching and, and guiding people. But he's also like has a really big personality and he wants to be sharing and guiding and teaching people. So when we would go to public um, spaces together, it was actually very awkward because we can't, it, it felt like we couldn't both be the center of attention all the time. Um, and it felt like there wasn't enough space for both of us. Mm. So I naturally started to default to being a little quieter, like being a little more submissive, um, just kind of letting him take the stage. And I thought that that's what I had to do. And I think that that that's a program. Yeah, I definitely think that that is a program um, that was downloaded inside me a long time ago from watching the woman in my family from, you know, just all the different things in my, in my mom's culture of being Lebanese. And, um, that was the program that was operating for a long time. And I didn't start realizing that I was actually very resentful for not taking up more space until recently, as you know. Yeah. And something just like, it was like a switch that just went off where, I was like, I don't think I can play this game anymore. Like, I don't think that I can, you know, go online. And when I'm talking to my audience, I'm this powerful, confident, like well-spoken woman. But then when I'm in a public setting with my boyfriend, I'm like suddenly quiet. And like, people think that I'm introverted and I don't have anything to say. And that was such a weird dichotomy for me. And um, what's what the relationships. So what started happening is I started becoming very resentful. And I would, you know, start to poke at Sterling and I'd be like, you know, 
I didn't get a word in or like, Hey, like, you know, do you want to share the spotlight? I wouldn't say those things, but like, that was my energy. My energy was like, Hey, you know, it's, it's like the Sterling show all the time, but what about me? Yeah. And we met this really cool couple in Miami and, and her, she's also dating an extreme. She's a very powerful woman dating a very powerful man as well. And, um, her and I were talking about this and she said that she felt the same way in the first few years of her relationship. And she, she started realizing that it wasn't her boyfriend's responsibility or her partner's responsibility to like make space for her mm. or like, it wasn't his responsibility to talk less so that she could talk more. Um, it was her responsibility to shine and to like, if she had something to add to the conversation, then to just add it and not wait for him to like be quiet so that she could chime in. Like she just had to like own her presence and just express more of it. Yeah. So I think the last few weeks for me have been about like discovering what does it look like for both of us to be powerful? Mm. And like, what does that mean? Because I think that my definition of power six months ago has changed a lot. Yeah. And yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm learning like, what does it mean to not make it all about him, not make it all about me, not make it all about us, but like, what does it mean for just both of us to be ourselves all the time where no one's shrinking and both people feel seen and heard and expressed. So damn girl. Yeah. (laughs) That's a really juicy area of exploration to be in. And it's, I feel very grateful to be having this conversation with you right now while you're in the midst of it. Like, it's not like it happened five years ago. (laughs) No, like you're in it right now. Yeah. You are actively renegotiating your relationship with power, with femininity, with womanhood, with men, with your partner, with expression. So what, and no need for this to be any particular way, but what does power mean to you in this moment as a woman in a relationship with a powerful man? Hmm. What does power mean to me in this moment in a relationship with a powerful man? For whatever reason, the first word that came up was oneness. Hmm. So I'm trying to like unlock, like, why is that the word that came up? But I think it's one, the reason I think I say oneness is because, so I was just telling you before, like the last few weeks, I kind of became selfish in our relationship. And I had read a book that I recommended to you too, and that we were reading together Mm -hmm. that talked about how women unconsciously uh, assume the selfless role because of society. And, you know, society has kind of created this norm over time that women are the contributors to the relationship. And then men are the contributors to the world. Yeah. And that's just kind of like how it works. Like the woman like pours into the man and the man pours into his work. And she talks about like how women have to be more selfish. And so I had just like finished this book and I just swung in like the opposite direction. So I was really focused on just myself. Like, what do I want to eat today? What do I want to do today? What do I feel like saying right now? And I wasn't really considering Sterling and I I kind of knew that it was an experiment and that eventually it would end and I would learn something from it. But, or at least I know that now, I think in the moment I was just reacting to having been selfless for so long. 
mm-hmm. and feeling like, okay, well, like, where am I in all of this? Um, but I say oneness because now I feel like it doesn't have to be this tug of war. Like it yeah. doesn't have to be like, it's about me or it's about Sterling. Like we can both be t- one and also be two at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like Khalil Gibran, one of my favorite Lebanese American writers, like has this poem on marriage. And he talks about that. He talks about like not drinking from the same cup. It's a metaphor, but not drinking from the same cup, not eating from the same loaf of bread. Like he talks about like being your own person and allowing a healthy amount of space between you at all times and never letting that gap like completely close. And that's kind of what I've been experimenting with lately. Like, what does it look like to be one as in like, we are a unit, we are a team, but it's not like 50, 50, it's a hundred percent and a hundred percent. Yeah. On both sides. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I resonate with that a lot. That's I, as you know, was in a very similar like identity renegotiation throughout the course of my relationship with Ani. And what I've learned from a developmental psychology perspective is that because so many of us were not raised in ideal households where we always felt nurtured and seen and attended to. And I'm not sure how many people were raised in households like that, where they (laughs) grow up with what's called secure attachment, where it feels equally safe to be independent and autonomous as it does to be in deep connection and vulnerability with someone, right? That's so when we develop secure attachment, which, you know, I think is like hailed in psychology as like the goal, but you know, it's all a journey. Um, I think what we find when we go through deep relationship like this, and for anyone who's listening, who has the idea that you're going to do all of your inner work first, and then you're going to get to the relationship and you're going to be Gucci and coast. That's not the case. Mm -hmm. I can tell you 100% what will happen is you'll do as much inner work as you do to become an energetic match for whoever you attract. You'll be in relationship with them. And then the journey 2.0 begins. Like you did your journey as a single person. Now the attachment stuff, the attachment wounding, the triggers, the traumas, all the things that were first created in your childhood are going to come up because Mm -hmm. the only way they can come up is in relationship. They will not come up when you're single because there is nothing pushing on that. So then you find yourself in relationship and you're like, Oh my God, I thought they were the one, but now all my shit's coming up. <laughs> now I hate them. <laughs> and and that is by design. It is a yeah. very intelligent design. And what I am hearing you say is what I went through, which was when I came into this relationship with Ani, I was in, I, yes. Was I an adult making money that had a business? I did. But emotionally, I was in a very childlike state in terms of what happens when I come into deep connection where there's vulnerability and I'm seen Mm. in ways that I've never been seen. Oh my God, the alarm goes (laughs) off, the defensiveness comes up, the anger, the pushing away, the anxiety, like all of it comes out because I didn't have stability around those things in childhood. And then when that comes out and we're in this anxious childlike place, the other direction is to then be in the rebellious teenager. Yes. So we're in the wounded child. hundred percent. Then we're in the rebellious teenager. And it's like, 100%. fuck you, fuck off. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Yep. All the fucks, but you're not fucking me. 
And like, that's the rebellious teenager. Like, what do I want to eat today? What are my priorities? Like, (laughs) I don't care. And then the integration between those parts is when our grounded adult steps in and you know, when we have the ability to have foresight to see like, oh, okay, well maybe the child yeah. <laughs> wasn't not where I want to be. The teen might not be where I want to be. I want to be an adult who can be autonomous, who can be in connection, who can be in oneness and still have my own identity, who can, you know, work through my triggers, who can communicate effectively, etc. Yeah. And that's the process that I hear Yes. You going through yes. actively right now. Yeah. Okay. So, that, so tell me what's coming up for you. Well, all, all of that just hit for me. Yeah. Very, very hard because what I was thinking before was I felt like I didn't matter in the relationship, which is a feeling I had as a child. I had this feeling as a kid that like, no matter what I did, like my parents didn't really see me and it you know, it was no one's fault. Our parents always do the best we can. And I'm at a place where I no longer blame them for, you know, the the parts of my personality that are harder to deal with. But my mom acknowledges like she was a a resident in medical school. You know, she was working like 18 hour days, sleeping at the hospital, um, sleeping with a beeper in the guest room of our house. She'd have to leave at any moment when she was at home, she was asleep because she never got sleep from work. And my father was, you know, a typical father, like he was, had a lot of rules, um, a lot of structure, very high standards. And it was really hard being at home because there was no space for me to just like be a kid. And like, because I felt like I, you know, no one really asked me like how I felt or like what I wanted to do that day, or, you know, what was something interesting that happened at school today? Like usually, you know, typically like the mom you know, the, the mother is the more like nurturing yeah. of the two parents. Well, I, I didn't have that. So when I became a teenager, I was like, well, fuck you guys. Like, I will find a way to make you look at me. Like I will find, I will force you to pay attention to me. Cause it really felt like no matter what I did, I didn't get attention. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the best way to get attention as a kid, when your parents aren't giving it to you is to misbehave. Yeah. You will always give attention when you misbehave. So I just learned to misbehave. I learned to lie. I learned to break curfew. I learned to sneak out. Like I basically did everything you could possibly think of as a teenager to force my mom, especially to like notice me Mm -hmm. because I I read this recently somewhere. Like if your parents don't acknowledge you, then you don't even know if you're real. Mm, Wow. Yeah. Like you don't, how can you know you're real? If you're, if you never get an acknowledgement, you know? So like, that was my way of just getting some sort of confirmation that like, I am a person yeah, and I exist. Um, it wasn't great confirmation. You know, it, like when I, I got caught shoplifting when I was 16 and my mom looked me in the eyes and we were in, in the van. I had just gotten out of the police station. They had just given me my sentence and my mom literally looked at me and she was like, I hate you. Mm. And I hadn't heard I love you in years. Hmm. So even though it was like such a negative statement, it was cathartic in a way. Cause I was like, Oh, you do feel something though. Like you feel something about me and I'm not just like this invisible, you know, like this visible 
organ, this invisible creature in your home that you pay for, but like you actually like recognize that I'm a real person and I'm actually making you feel something. And in a very sadistic way that actually felt good. I mean, I, I was crying, I was devastated, but I was like, okay, you know, like I, I actually still have the power to make this person who brought me into the world, like feel something towards me. Yeah. So I saw the same exact thing happen with Sterling where I just, you know, he got really busy with his work and his life. And I, like I said earlier, was getting very used to just kind of being this submissive, like very sweet girlfriend who did her own thing. But when we were in public in everyone else's eyes, he was the star of the show and it was really hard to feel real. Like even with our friends, you know, Sterling does a really great job of being noticed everywhere we go. And so it just started to feel like maybe I'm not really real to him. You know, mm. maybe I'm just this like, like this creature that makes his life easier, you know, that lets everything run very smoothly, yeah. but maybe there's nothing really inherently about me that makes him want to be with me. Mm. So I decided to say, fuck it. I'm going to stop doing everything that makes his life easier. And I'm going to see what happens. Like I turned into the teenager I was, and I was like, I'm just going to just do whatever the fuck I want. I'm just going to see what happens when everything I usually manage, like falls apart. I didn't know this consciously. I wasn't like sitting there consciously saying, I'm going to stop managing everything. Right. It all happened very unconsciously. Um, And then one day he did notice me, but it was negative. Yeah. Cause he was just like, oh, wow. You're just like totally hands off in the relationship. Like, I don't, I don't feel the commitment anymore. Yeah. And I just, when you were saying that, that's what came to me. Wow. Oh, thank you for sharing all of that. That's, yeah. that's really heart opening and deep. And I think I know speaks to so many people who are tuning in right now that we we find consciously or not these strategies to feel what all of us long for, which is yeah. love or attention, affection, acknowledgement, recognition. And sometimes that comes out in ways that are intentional and other times it comes out in ways that are unconscious and there's nothing bad about that. And it just points back to a deep human desire to want to be recognized and to know that we're loved, to know that we're wanted, to yeah. know that we're connected to. Yeah. And so I really thank you for sharing that. Where are you all at in this process now? Like, where do you feel like you're at? You were in the, you know, sort of like childlike fawning place. And then you went to the teenager push away. And it sounds like there's integration happening right now. So what's the latest? Well, I feel, and this isn't just a feeling in the book that you and I read, she says that you can never have the relationship you want with your romantic partner until you create the relationship you want with your parents. Yes. And for those of you listening, the book is called the dance of anger by Dr. Harriet Lerner. I would absolutely recommend it no matter how you identify gender wise. Um, but I found it to be particularly helpful so as a woman. So good. Yeah. Yeah. I can't recommend it enough, but so she talks about that. She says, until you heal your relationship with your parents, 
and your primary family, it's nearly impossible to create the relationship you want with your adult partner. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, with my mom, the next evolution of our relationship. So it was a rebellious teenager. I got in all sorts of trouble and, um, you know, really like it, it came down to me writing out this very threatening email from my high school account. We have like, you know, the high school email, it was filled with like cuss words. And I was just like, so angry at my parents and it got flagged because there were so many like cuss words in it. And it got sent to our high school counselor. And so our counselor called me in for a meeting with my parents. And I was so sure that I was going to be in trouble because I was so used to being in trouble. Like during this stage of my life, it was like everything that goes wrong in the house, Elsa, something breaks, even if I'm in another room, Elsa, something goes missing, Elsa, like everything was me, my fault. Wow. Um, and in a way I had created that by being a rebellious teenager. But, um, so we went to the, the counselor's office and I was so surprised because even though she was asking me all these questions about like trouble that I had gotten into lately, she actually turned the conversation to my mom. And the conclusion of the conversation was you need to hang out with your daughter. Like your daughter is trying to reach you. She's trying to reach you Um, and like you having this, um, you know, I feed her and I clothe her attitude. So she should be the great, like a perfect daughter. Like that doesn't, that doesn't work. Like children also need emotional, their emotional needs met. And I think that your daughter is trying to reach you. So you, you need to like create time. You need to spend time with her. You need to give her compliments. Like, um, and she recommended that we have one-on-one time together, which was not really common for our relationship. So my mom started scheduling one-on-one time for just us. And at first it was super awkward. Like we'd have really nothing to talk about. And we traveled to a few countries together. She made it a point. She used to always travel by herself. My mom's been everywhere you can possibly imagine because of her work as a doctor, um, but by herself. So she started including me on some of her trips and it started, our relationship started to get better. So gradually we you know, I started opening up to her and I'm her first child. So a lot of what she did with me was practice for the rest of my sisters, but I started like testing the waters. Like, let's see what happens if I just share a little more and a little more and a little more. And eventually our relationship got to a really good place where I could tell her like, you know, I'm having sex or like, you know, I'm, I'm with this guy and you know, something happened and I don't think it's going to work out. And I was like, finally able to start like being myself with her. And so now we have a very mature, very beautiful relationship. I mean, I, when I talk to my mom, I I pretty much, I don't share everything because I don't think it's necessary, but like, she knows who I am. She has a very clear picture of my values and the choices I make and all of that. So I feel like that's the next stage of my relationship with Sterling. Mm -hmm. I feel like the next stage of this relationship will be, you know, him like, maybe going out of what feels comfortable and normal. Cause that's what my mom had to do. Like my mom, I mean, there was a joke that like, whenever my mom called me, I knew it was an emergency because that was her only reason to ever call. So she's had to push herself out of her comfort zone and, and call me randomly just to talk, um, to ask me more questions, to get more curious. And I think that he can too. I think that the next part of our relationship will be, him learning how to take a deeper interest in me and me learning how to impose myself more. Cause it's not mm-hmm. just about him. It's also like, I've learned to just call my mom. 
Yeah. That used to feel very awkward. I used to always send her a message and be like, Hey, is, is now a good time for me to call? And now I just call. And I'm like, if she doesn't pick up, she doesn't pick up. And if she's can't talk, she'll tell me, but like, right. I've learned to impose myself more on her and she's learned to make more space for me. And I feel like that will, will be the evolution of our relationship. Mm, it's so good. Yeah. I, I feel in getting to be a witness to your relationship and getting to be in my own relationship that has a lot of similar dynamics that Ani and I, you know, in, for certain things, we're always going to be working through and, We've also done a lot of work to work through a lot. Um, I see so much growth, so much deepening of love for yourselves, for each other. Um, So if there was a message that you wanted women to hear about this journey to uh, remembering how powerful we are as women, and if there's a message that you wanted men to hear uh, particularly those who are in relationships with women, whether romantic or familial, what message would you give to each? Mm. Well, I really love what you said earlier about no matter how much work you do when you're single, like it's, it's, I'm not going to say it's all going to go out the window when you get into a relationship, but this whole mentality of like, find who you are, date yourself before you get into a relationship with someone else, like know who you are is ultimately bullshit in my opinion, because like you said, when it's just me, there's no one to trigger me. Like I can think that I've mastered all my triggers because when it's just me and like, and myself, I'm going to create the perfect conditions so that I'm not triggered. Uh So it takes like another human being that I share space with telling me like, Hey, you have this tendency or you have that tendency. Like it's through other people that we discover who we are So there's just, there's never going to be enough amount of work done before you get into a relationship. Like I met a lot of women who will take like six months off or a year off or two years off of dating. And I have nothing against that. I think it's beautiful. And at the same time, like it's not enough. Like you're, you could take 10 years off of dating, but the moment you actually start sharing a roof with someone, like you're, you're going to have to get into the messy stuff. Cause that's when it comes up. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing for women would be to just learn how to feel your feelings. I've been super feely this year. Like yeah. I had not been able to cry for a long time. Like I probably before this year, I hadn't cried in like, I don't know, like three years, three, four years. I don't know what happened. I just, I got so focused on building my business and I got really good at thinking and really bad at feeling. And I think that that's why I developed so many digestive issues um, that I'm still dealing with, but um, I got really good at feeling this year. Mm. So I cried a lot. I got angry a lot. um, I got jealous a lot and I learned to just like, let it flow. Because before I'd be like, oh, why am I like, why am I upset at this? And I would try to rationalize. And I still do that because I want to be a mature adult who doesn't just lash out at everything. But at the same time, like I've learned to really follow my feelings down the rabbit hole to see where they take me because I just haven't done that enough. So that's what I would say to women is just feel your feelings. I mean, the dance of anger, the book, she talks about how women can essentially forget how to get angry. Yeah. And that happened to me this year. Like I I forgot how to get angry, like things would happen and I would be really upset. And then I would intellectualize it. And then I'd be like, okay, well, 
I guess I'll just let it go. Cause I don't want to be, you know, crazy, you know? And then now I'm just like, fuck it. If I'm crazy, like I'm crazy. Like I want to, <laughs> I want to feel my feelings that I want to understand, like, why am I angry? Yeah. Because like blocking that was obviously not working. So if I, if I just like suppress it, it's just going to go somewhere in my body and just create a disease over time. Not to mention, it's going to create a barrier between me and my partner because I'm not admitting that I actually feel a certain way about something. So, which is how boundaries are created. Yeah. So, um, I've learned to just like get angry, like figure out what it's about. And that's what I would say to women. And then to men, I would say, I think it just depends because men are different, you know, but I think with, since we're talking about dating a King, a, a man who's really powerful, really has got a shit together, like knows what he wants. I would say like, remember to take a deeper look into your partner, like really remember to take a deeper look because I think that, and this is a conversation for another day, but like, there's a little boy inside who thinks that accumulating all this wealth is going to get him love. Mm -hmm. And that's not why she's there. If you have the right woman, if you have a good woman, she's not there because you're accumulating all this wealth. So I'm not there because Sterling's accumulating all this wealth. I mean, I think it's amazing because he's ambitious and he, we, we share a lot of the same values. We want to see we, like how far we can go in our life. And I love that. Yeah. But like, I'm not there for just that. And so like, I think that sometimes like men who are very powerful can forget that like, she still wants a partner. She doesn't want a bank. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't want like, you know, she doesn't want just like a, 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 a credit card machine. Like she wants a man and a partner. She wants someone who asks her questions. She wants someone who like gets curious about her. And, um, I would love to see more of that and, yeah. and my partner. And I've told him that I've been very upfront and in like an all powerful men, like just get more curious hmm. curiosity. Yeah. Aho to that. I, I am right there. I am right there. Um, okay. So before we close, is there anything else that is coming up that you feel called to express? It can be something related to what we talked about, something completely unrelated, anything else that would help your vessel feel clear? Well, I learned yesterday that from, from a story, from a woman's story, a really incredible story. I have never heard a story like this in my entire life. This woman was trained to be an, an elite sex slave, an elite child sex slave. I know this, this took a very wow big turn, <gasps> but she is, you know, she was courageous enough to share her story about how she was essentially um, abused by her mom. And then she was taken in by this very dark and powerful network of people who essentially held children captive as sex slaves. It's a real thing. Um, so she talked about something that was really interesting about how the more powerful the men were that she came across, um, the more insecure they were. It was like mm -hmm. almost like an, a direct correlation that she noticed more power, the more insecurity. And when she, she always talks about, I mean, this is dark, so I'm just giving y'all a trigger warning. Um, but I mean, she was raped by many, 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 many men. 
And she learned how to like understand what each man needed because she wanted to keep herself alive. Mm. Because the moment you're not really needed anymore in the network, they have to discard you because there's too much danger of letting you out. So she learned to like pick up on what each person needed. And she said that every time a man assaulted her, she saw a child, not a man. Mm. Like she saw their inner child and she understood that everything they were doing to accumulate wealth, to become very powerful, to do these terrible, terrible acts in front of other men who they respected was all because there was a child inside that was just trying to feel loved. And so she talked about self-esteem and she talked about how, like, when you don't have self-esteem, the only place to get it is from the outside world. That's just, that's the only way to do it. And the problem with that is like, there's always another level. So if you become a millionaire, well, then now you can also become a multimillionaire. When you become a multimillionaire, now you're like, well, I want to be a billionaire. And it's like, it's never enough. If you, if you have one beautiful woman, well, now you're seeing men with five beautiful women around them. And you're like, well, I want that. You see a man, you have one amazing sports car, but you're seeing other men with 15 sports cars. And you're like, well, I want that. And so it's like this little child inside that can't ever be fully satiated because they're trying to like get their self-esteem from the outside. So she was talking about how like in order to stop putting the wrong people in power, which unfortunately the way she put it, like there's no way to rise to the top without losing your morals. Mm. There's just no way to hold on to your integrity and make it all the way up to the top politically. But she was saying like, if we all learned how to replenish our self-esteem internally, if we all learned how to have true self-esteem without other people, then the world would naturally become a much happier, healthier, and safer place to live for everyone. Yeah. Because we wouldn't be like putting on all these facades and all these masks trying to please everyone else. And we would actually just take care of ourselves. And when we stopped trying to play the facade, everyone else would start to see, okay, the facade's not valued by society anymore. So maybe we can chill out too. And then we would all just like chill out and be able to actually contribute to each other. And she did say that she believes um, her guru was saying that we are entering that phase now. Yes. Like the phase that we're in now in the world, we're finally like entering a stage where people are kind of questioning the facade and this need to like continually feed this machine, this monster. And um, I think we are learning how to be a little more equal. Yeah. And I... I feel that. And sometimes, you know, when people share stories like that, I'm so moved. And then I'm like, okay, well, what do I do? How do I be a part of that? And it sounds like sometimes there's like a charge, like, okay, in order for us to be a completely different collective society or a different planet, we must all learn self-love or whatever the charge is, right? Here is how you be a part of the change you do that in yourself. You be that for yourself. You be a stand for love, for open-heartedness, for clear communication in your relationships. That is the way the world changes. We don't always have to go out and be, you know, 
the the next coming of Martin Luther King or Gandhi or Mother <laughs> Teresa, though there there are some people that are yeah. meant for that, for that sort of stature in yeah. that way, right? And we can all be leaders in our lives by being a stand for what is this anger about? Let me ask before I project it out. Let me ask instead of pushing it down and invalidating my needs. That is, you are taking a stand for love by changing the universe and the world that happens inside of us. We change the world outside of us. This is quantum entanglement. We are all entangled. We're all connected. There is a direct mirror between what happens in us and what happens in the world around us. And we are always actively creating that with every thought, with every choice, with every intention and action. And so for all of those tuning in, you have the power. We have the power to enact that change, Totally, to be in a world where people do treat each other with more love and respect, where people treat themselves with more love and respect. And, you know, it's not beyond us as, you know, humans that don't have fame or maybe don't have millions in the bank or it's not, none of it's beyond us. We are as powerful as anybody else. So, and to be clear, like you can, you listening to this, like you can still build that, right? Like you can still play the game of the matrix, you know, like make the millions, get the sports car, get the house. Like I'm not against that. It's, I mean, not especially I'm not against that if it's done in an ethical way, where it's a win, 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 a win for you, a win for the people that you do business with and a win for the planet. Yeah. Like if you can find a win, win, win formula to build that exotic, you know, adventurous, big life. And that's what you really, really, really want. That's awesome. But I think what I'm learning for myself is like to, to really find out like what truly makes me happy because as a dating coach, like so many men and so many women, when I started working with women first, so many women were like, I'm afraid to be honest on a date about what I want because I don't want to scare guys away. And then when I started working with men, it was like, I don't want to be honest about liking a girl and sharing my real thoughts because my real feelings, because I don't want to scare her away. And it was so interesting that men and women were saying the exact same thing. Like, I want to be honest, but I don't want to scare the other party away. (laughs) And I like finally learned that like my work is, it it functions like a bridge. Like I I worked with a lot of women, helping them be more honest with men. And now I work with men, helping them be more honest with women. But I think the most attractive quality is confidence. And I think that confidence comes from being like, this is what I want. And this is how I think. And this is what I'm working through. And if we can get on the same page, like that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And then if we can't like, that's cool too. But like, this is, this is me and this is what I'm working with. Yeah. And when you say that out loud, first of all, you validate it for yourself and that feels really, really good. Um, And then the second thing that happens is the other person respects you more, whether or not they end up in relationship with you. When you like men always ask me, like, what do I say to a woman when I approach her? And I'm like, just say, hi, just say, hi, I'm so-and-so. And then for a woman, like women are always like, well, what do I say if I, if I want him to get my number and I'm like, just let him know that you're leaving. And that was a great conversation. Like, just be honest. And I don't know. I feel like if, if we all did more of that and I'm speaking for myself, like this is what I'm working on too. 
um, then I, I really don't think that we'd see all the, um, what's the word for it? Like, I don't think we'd keep missing each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm learning how to do that in my relationship. Cause sometimes Mm -hmm. I will say that I, you know, I will give off a certain vibe, a certain attitude. I'll be, I'll be cold and distant instead of just saying like, Hey, you know, that actually made me feel pretty jealous and I'm feeling a little insecure right now. And can you, can you just help reassure me? Yeah. Like I've learned to say that even though it feels so weird still saying it out loud. Yeah. It's so much easier to just give him the cold shoulder than to be like, I'm feeling jealous right now, but I'm I'm learning to do more of that because I think that that's what self-esteem is. Yeah. Just being okay with being me and just kind of accepting whatever consequence comes with being myself. Mm-hmm. I think self-esteem and like confidence go one and one. Yeah. Hand in hand in hand. And it for me, I mean, in my journey, it's been a path to major liberation. And it might be liberating oh. myself from a relationship, but it's, yeah. it's also yes. liberating myself from I love that you said that. The mental prison of like needing to manage everyone else's emotions, thoughts, feelings, perceptions about me, which my God is like carrying an elephant yes. on our backs. So Wow. What did you see conversation? Um, I'm so glad we got to have this definitely more to come. Um, where, for those of you, for those that are listening on my podcast, Mm -hmm. if they want to connect with you, how, what's the best way to do that? At Elsa Morik on Instagram. Morik is spelled more CK. M-O-R-E-C-K. Perfect. Okay. And I will include that in the show notes for everyone. Any sign out for your peeps? Well, I did hear a quote yesterday that I want to share with y'all. And then we're going to hop off. The quote was what you work, what you tolerate, you worry about. So what you tolerate, you worry about. And we've been talking this entire time about confidence, about honesty. And some, the one last thing I want to say is if you are seeing a woman right now, if you are dating someone and you're in the early stages and you're already starting to see certain behaviors that you don't really love behaviors that don't really make you feel valued on the receiving end, but you're not saying anything like that is why you're finding yourself in a situation where you're worried, where you're worried that it's not going to work out, where you're worried that maybe you're doing too much, or maybe they're not the right person, or you're not the right person, whatever it is. So what you tolerate, you worry about. And what I would love to leave you with is if you are feeling a certain way, maybe this is now an opportunity for you to be more honest. So I had to do that early on in my relationship with Sterling. He had a tendency of taking like sometimes two, three days to respond to a text message. I did not like how that felt. I know many of you who follow me do not like how that feels because y'all reach out to me and tell me like, why is she not responding? Um, And I think it's really easy to just ghost that person or to just disappear because you don't, want to risk being rejected when you share how you really feel, but what's the worst that could happen? If you just tell a woman that you're talking to or man that you're talking to, like, Hey, you know, this communication pattern that we have going on, isn't really making me feel valued. And I'm curious, like, are you open to talking about how we can respond to each other in a way that does make us both feel more valued? Like, just how, how hard would that be? You know, I know, I know it feels really easy to say it now and actually putting it into practice is a whole other story, but like the worst they can do is just not answer you. 
And that is your answer, but you don't have an answer anyway. So what are you going to lose? So that's, that's the last thing I would say is maybe we need to stop tolerating so much. If we stop tolerating people and behaviors that we weren't, that aren't really aligned with who we're wanting to be in the world, then we'd have a lot less to worry about. So that's it. (laughs) All right. To everyone on the podcast, wishing you much love and good vibes. And we'll see you next time. Thank y'all for joining in. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to the show and spread the love by sharing this episode out on social media and to all the powerful women in your life. And if you're ready to play full out and create heart-throbbing love, hop on over to my website to see all the juicy ways you can do just that. www.leenoto.com Fellow wild woman, I appreciate you. Until next time, I'm sending you so much love and all the good vibes. Thank you.